On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas. And joining me today, I have a special guest. He played 44 tests for Sri Lanka, 181 day internationals, and is commentating for Fox Cricket on the current test series in Australia. Welcome to the show, Russell Arnold. Hi, Russell. How are you? Hello. How are you? Thanks so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'm so glad you did because I can I can see on social media that you're a bit of a stirrer. Uh, <laughs> you put a few bombs out there, you know, reminding India that tests are five days. People who listen to this show will know I'm a stirrer. Are you a bit of a stirrer off the field? I just like to have a bit of fun, a little bit of, of a laugh, but... Um I haven't said anything about India in any of those tweets, have I? No, no, no. Just something, <laughs> nothing bad. Just reminding them that they could bat a bit longer in England. Or is that what stuff. you think? But uh, I've just said, isn't a test match five days, right? Exactly. It applies to Sri Lanka now, though. I like that quality. I really do. I like someone that stirs the pot a bit. So, listeners, uh, with Russell, we're going to talk about the current series going on. We're going to talk about his past experiences touring Australia, uh, what he thinks about the state of the Australian team, and maybe do a bit of a dive into some highlights from your career. Well, let's just start. I was sort of researching that you averaged about 30 in test cricket and about 35 in one-day international cricket. Why is it, do you think, you um, were more successful in 50-over cricket? Really, when I looked at it, okay, let, let me just tell you a little bit about how I grew up. I grew up as an opener. Yep. I made my debut as an opener and... Um, uh, Sri Lanka just felt that I handled pressure well and I read a game well, so they just uh, tried to change things around with firepower right at the top and me going into the middle order, which worked well. I was able to get the best out of the tail, finish games off, and um, averaging around 35 and strike rates of 75 to 80 were very good in those days. You're handling mm. reverse swing towards the end, you're playing with one ball. But that change just didn't work for me in test cricket. Um, I have three test hundreds. They've all been made as an opener. And as an opener in nine tests, I average 50 plus. So I I was a little bit of a poker um, who would just hang around and steal runs. That that was more my type of game. So the change in batting positions uh, worked in one format, strangely, but uh, not in the other. Uh, It was a real struggle. And uh, at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, it it isn't uh, that good. Uh, yeah, you, I guess you had a bit of competition for the opening spot. You had Jay Saria and Atapatu and a few people there, so it was hard to get in the opening spot. Oh uh, no, uh, Atapatu was batting down the order. Okay, and um, the, uh, the request uh, to open was was granted, but uh, I made the team, scored all the runs in first class cricket, and made the team uh, purely as an opener, and it wasn't uh, a case of competition. 
So, so let's have a look at this current series uh, between Australia and Sri Lanka. Australia won the first test. They're well on top in the second test at the moment at Manuka Oval. And, and Sri Lanka looks like a team really rocked by injuries and scandal that's going on back home at the moment. It, it just seems like they're, they're not quite together as a unit on this tour. Is that the right impression? Uh, it's a fair comment. There's so much going on in terms of uh, administration, team management, and then the players as well. And when the senior players uh, keep pulling up injured continuity in the team, it's very difficult to go ahead with uh, team plans. And uh, trust around Sri Lanka cricket has taken a beating. So it is a very fair comment, and I think that's what's reflecting in the performances. They're good here and now, now and again, uh, but the consistency uh, and to get ahead in tight moments, uh, there's got to be a, a lot of trust in what each other is doing uh, and be a well-oiled unit. So they just aren't that. I think that's where they're f- uh, falling short. I've no doubt about the talent, but um, the mindset has to take a battering. They're all human. Even uh, for me, being an outsider, not having any involvement, direct involvement at, at this stage, other than the heart being there, um, <laughs> it still is jittery. Mm. Uh, so if you were in that dressing room, can just imagine uh, what it could be feeling like. Yeah, I think that there is a lot of talent in the Sri Lankan team, though. I mean, the batting talent especially. There's some really gifted batsmen there. So it, it seems to me that they're not far away from being a good side again. They just need a little bit of strong leadership and sort of to iron out these kinks. But they look like they've got a lot of talent. Certainly, no doubt about that. There are a lot of instinctive players, exciting players, but a lot to do with the mindset and you're right, leadership is crucial, so the captain needs to be strong. And if he's getting runs out there day in, day out, it's easier for him to lead. You know, It's not about words, it's about actions as well. So Chandimal, I'm not sure whether he should bat at three, and uh, it's not a lot of runs that he's providing. But when you talk about leaderships, I, I reckon it, it has to go up further as well uh, to, to, make it, to, to make it a strong setup. Yeah, there's so many problems at the moment. India have just become the first ever... Asian touring side to to win a test series in Australia. Do you think the fact that they've done done what no other team's done before will give other nations hope when they come to Australia that it is possible to win here? It certainly will be encouraging, but India played a lot of good cricket. They got some wonderful players. The batting is pretty strong, but the bowling exceptional. They got depth and uh, a lot to be admired about what's happening in India is they got all formats covered. So they kind of got a good direction. They got, uh, they know where they want to go, and they are very uh, passionate about their product as well. So that's why the the results are being shown, and competition is high amongst players. So they're pushing each other to a higher level. They are the benchmark at this stage, and yeah, you get it right. You show the discipline, and uh, you got still got to be tactically smart, which India were and Sri Lanka certainly not. Even batsmen are not winning their own games. For example, Pujara. Um, he'll win his own game, knowing his strength, knowing when to attack, when to defend, absorb pressure. So all that type of thing will fall in place. But India certainly the benchmark, and they've showed the way to do it. What about the Australian batting lineup? You know, there's a lot of speculation now about uh, what the Australians will do for the Ashes. Uh, what have you made of this? current top six, obviously without Smith and Warner, but uh, Marcus Harris, Joe Burns, Curtis Patterson, Travis Head, Manus Lobeshain, all relatively new to the test scene. What what have you made of them? Not much, really. Uh, I say that because they, they look talented. Usman Khawaja, of course, has done it before. He's uh, 
I believe, worn down a little bit on the expectations of being the senior batsman to provide, to to produce the goods and lead the team. That's worn him down a bit. He should uh, become stronger and totally focus on his game. This is where you say you have to be selfish. Get your runs and that will be the team runs rather than thinking of the situation of the team. But um, from the other batsmen around, yes, they've gone on to score runs against Sri Lanka, but uh, I wouldn't look too deep into it with Sri Lanka's uh, troubles, the injuries uh, and the type of cricket they've played. I don't think um, Australia would sort out or answer all the questions that needed to be answered. Um, A lot of the batsmen haven't really gone on to score big runs. Travis Head looks the part. Uh, He's been consistent, so you've got to give it to him. And I like uh, Joe Burns. I think he's a lot better player. He looks Um, like a classic test opener, doesn't he? He certainly is. He's mature. Uh, He's looked looked at to lead in Queensland. So he's a lot more mature than what he was earlier. So I think he's someone they should uh, stick with, but not very sure about the others. So Smith and Warner basically walk into that team and they bring in steel and arrogance. Uh, that's what they did give to the team before. Uh, but now with the new s- setup, there's a bit of patchwork to be done. How Aust- Australia handle it will be uh, very interesting to see. Yeah, what did you think of Curtis Patterson made his maiden test century in this test match? He does look like an organised player. He's got the game very strong off the back foot. Uh, once again, knows where he scores his runs. And he scored heavily against Sri Lanka. He also has scored heavily um, in first-class cricket. Uh, so he deserves another chance. But I'd, I'd like to see him against um, a quality attack. Uh, probably like an English attack. An, an Indian attack at this stage. Or even a South African attack to really... Um, put him up there as one of the best or better Australian batsmen. So uh, as we record this, it's the the day after uh, England have lost to the West Indies, so they've gone down 2-0 in the Test Series. I mean, I think the Ashes, you're going to have two teams with batting lineups that have weaknesses. So it could really come down to, you know, a bowl-off. Yeah, you've got to be realistic in how you judge your performances. For example, the last Test Series England played were against Sri Lanka. In the subcontinent, they played really well. They handled situations well. They won moments. They went on to win three in England. That was something they hadn't achieved before. Now, did they think they were world beaters? They played. They, they were playing a Sri Lanka, which was kind of below par. Same thing in New Zealand. New Zealand played Sri Lanka. India went across. We came out here. They're struggling against India. They looked mm. world beaters. So that's why I'm saying Australia need to be careful here in how realistic they are in judging what they have and how they go forward. Yes, you've got the feel-good factor back, which you can... You're a little happier to make decisions and go forward, but I certainly wouldn't be doing cartwheels. Yeah, good. It's good that you say that because it's a bit of a reality check for Aussie fans. So before the Ashes, there's the World Cup in England. It's obviously very exciting. What's your feeling about the sort of teams that could really be vying for the World Cup? Who, Who do you fancy? Um, I'll, for me, England and um, India are up there. They're settled teams. Indian batting very strong. And now with the bowling that we're seeing, they cover all their bases. they got bowlers who will bowl quick, uh, very good at the depth. And in the middle overs, they got those uh, wrist spinners who not many batsmen around the world are picking. Whereas in England, on the other hand, powerful batting lineup and a very good white ball team. So for me, those two teams are right up there. New Zealand could challenge them. I'm not so sure about South Africa and um, Australia being well up there. Sri Lanka, of course, I'll be very surprised um, if they do um, pick up a few wins. Yeah, I'm worried about Australia, actually, at this stage. I know they've got a lot of talent, but they just haven't 
got the results together. So, I mean, you know as a player, when when you go into a contest against a team that's on a bit of a low losing streak, it does give you a bit of confidence as an opponent. Do you think, okay, we're, they're a little bit at our mercy here? Yeah, the the form does matter. The feel good factor matters, and uh, what the opposition has. Uh, so, s- for example, when Sri Lanka always play India, it's intimidating because they play spin well, and we control a game uh, with the spinners. So that's a downturn. Even if India are in a in a, a good space or not, that's so, that's always a problem be- because of that reason. So sometimes you have a rival who it doesn't matter where they are at in their game. Uh, but there's something about them that's intimidating. Uh, and uh, other teams, I- it's about form and also the conditions that you will be playing in. It's a strange one, really. But there are different factors that uh, affect uh, your mindset. So maybe come World Cup time, some of the past performances won't hamper Australia too much. They, they'll have their good fast bowlers and their their best batsman yet and they could get on a run but if they're known that they have um, been winning matches and their plans from player to player role to role was clear it's become so much easier uh, but on, on the other hand you also know that if you can um, your initial goal in a, a world tournament is to make that knockout stage so in in this instance 10 teams are playing you got nine games you've got to finish in the top four. Once you get there, you just need to make sure you have a good game to get to the final, and that's how you would kick on. Uh, There are different ways of uh, looking at it. Uh, Sometimes you can target your opponents and make sure that you really make sure that you win those games and uh, uh, try and nick a few off to make that point. A a classic example of that is uh, in, in sport. This is soccer. Alex Ferguson, such a successful manager... Uh, his game plan was simple. You make sure you beat all the teams that are below you in the table. Mm. And he's got happy to nick a point against the better teams. And uh, if you go to Europe, the away games, are ma- he made sure you don't lose it. You come back with a point, but you win at home. So those type of game plans where you know the conditions, you know exactly what to do, you know the atmosphere, you, you make sure you, make the, you have that counting in your favor and you don't fail. When I say that when you beat all the teams below, your, uh, below you, you are making sure you're in a sound position. So that's what it's about. So it's no harm. I think that's a great way of looking at it um, in, in such a tournament. Make sure that you nail the teams. No hiccups. You play your best game against uh, the weaker team so that you're in a good position. Then you're in, you just need to nick a game here or there. Yeah, Australia play Afghanistan in the, the first match. And uh, I'm a little bit worried about that with Rashid Khan and a few of their leggies that could do a bit of trouble in it. It's your point that that's a, sort of a, a banana skin game for Australia, you know. They're expected to beat Afghanistan, but if they have a good performance, then Australia will be on the back foot. That's the, that's the type of game you've got to go strong. You've got to make sure that uh, there's no breathing space for the opposition and uh, get over the line rather than letting the game drift and... Uh, who knows? The mm. pressure could be uh, reverted and that's when you slip up. Yeah, definitely. All right, so uh, Russell, uh, I, I didn't realise, but when you retired from international cricket, you actually moved to Australia. So um, when was that and why did you come to Australia? Well, towards the end of my career, I always knew, uh, I mean, the family and I knew we wanted to change something different. So we had set our minds on Australia, Sydney, because a lot of my wife's cousins live in Sydney. They grew up there. So 20, uh, since about 2005, uh, I had a few plans. It wasn't um, 
a bit of roses for me in my career. I had to work hard in and out. And I also mentioned uh, I would have always preferred to open, which I felt was uh, uh, there for me. So I always felt I had to keep battling. So 2000, around 2005, I made the plan, okay, I'm going to give it a good go 2007 and then move on. And uh, this was where we were going to be to uh, raise our young family. And how old were you when you retired from international cricket? 33. Okay, so quite young. And um, you, ca- you came out to Australia and you played A-grade cricket, I think, in Sydney. Played for Sydney Cricket Club. That's yep. uh, home grounds, Dromoyne, which a lot of people will know, mm. uh, hosting many of the women's games and s- some of the first-class day-night games. And how did you find that experience playing grade cricket? I enjoyed it. Saturday, Saturday was different. We, we used to playing right through. Uh, sometimes you got to wait. Uh, you get on your hit. You got to wait a, over a month to get another hit. <laughs> yeah. So different experience. Uh, the guys were good, and different lifestyle. So took a bit of learning, and um, yeah, enjoyed it and made a lot of new friends. And you've enjoyed living in Sydney and raising your kids there. No complaints. Loving it. Uh, settled into life really well. Enjoy the lifestyle. The people are great. We have a fantastic neighborhood. And uh, well into the sporting culture. I love watching my sports, so, uh, especially the rugby. So I'm on a roll. <laughs> Which rugby league or union? Uh, growing up, it was rugby union that we did get across. But my knowledge in sport is quite sound. So I knew what rugby league was. Uh, but since moving over to Moines, that's right next Tigers. to Leichhardt, West Tigers, where the boys took me down to. And now... Um, I'd prefer going down to watch a rugby league match over a union match. Wow, so it sounds like you really uh, fit into the Aussie culture so far. So when you used to tour Australia as a Sri Lankan cricketer, how hostile was the reception from the Australian uh, crowds and I guess the Australian players? Yeah, it was always going to be competitive. Alien conditions, Western lifestyle, very different to what we're used to at home in Sri Lanka. And we don't travel, I mean, we, are not, uh, we don't get long, long tours uh, to be away from home. So uh, always a new experience and it was exciting. Uh, and um, that, prob- that excitement probably helped us ignore a lot of the challenges we had to face in terms of media, in terms of the crowd. It was just about um, seeing it as a new experience and yeah, oh, so this is how they do it. It was more like that, and I, I don't think it ever affected most of us. The only incident that uh, really did get into us was the Muttai Murlidharan incident. Other than that, uh, um, the sledging, uh, the crowds, it's been a learning experience and an enjoyable one, really. I look back um, with great memories. Were you on then, was it the 95 tour when Murli was called? Were you on that one? I debuted in 97, so I was n- not in the team uh, for the instance when Murli was called by Daryl Hare and I was dropped or was not picked for the tour when Ross Emerson called uh, Murli. That was later on, 98, I think. Mm. But I think for years after, when Murli would come out here to bowl, the Aussie crowds would call no ball. And I can imagine that really must have upset the Sri Lankan team. Uh, it didn't really matter. The crowd were entitled to to act the goat if they wished and um, you know enjoy themselves. But it mattered what happened in the middle and what the umpires said. So that was uh, the bigger deal. Murli really didn't care what the crowd had to say. That's good. And and what about the Australian team when you used to play them? You know what what sort of challenge was that for you and the other team? Was that seen as sort of something to really test your skills? It was test your character, test you in every way, test your patience. And um, we, we, we cherished it. But 
in Australia, it was always difficult to beat them because we had to go outside our zone in playing the pace and also dealing or dishing out pace, which was not necessarily our strength. The spinners are what um, restricted somewhat without no, not much help. <laughs> but in any other part of the world, we backed ourselves to beat Australia, which was a great thing. And we'd always look forward to playing them because they were the best. They had a, they had teams that had not 11 players, 15 very good players, and you swap them around, you miss nothing. So it was that was the type of uh, uh, teams the Australians had, and they were the ones we wanted to play. And, and did, did the Australian team go overboard with sledging when you were playing against them? No, I really didn't think so. Lots of things were said, but then um, we didn't play too much test cricket at that at that stage. Uh, I can't really think of an instance where it went overboard and it became ugly where the Australians were concerned. That's good. And um, I, when I was growing up, my impression of the Sri Lankan team, especially when Ranatunga was in charge, Arjuna, was that the team had a little bit of a, a chip on its shoulder, that it really felt like an underdog all the time and was, you know, the 96 World Cup final where Sri Lanka beat Australia. I felt that you know, Sri Lanka were a sort of punchy opponent that you know always did sort of better than you'd think. Did did as a team you sort of ha- as a group have that sort of chip on your shoulder where you you felt you had to claw for every inch? Yeah, to a certain extent, it was about that. People trying to put you down, trying to say you're not good enough. That's what the Australians mainly were all about. So it was around that time, especially after the Murli incident, where. Um, brought a lot of people together the common cause came we have to beat these guys and we can do much better that self-belief that self-confidence crept in and uh, the winning the world cup was icing on the cake which uh, the confidence from that the belief just flew on the the joy and uh, sri lanka cricket started taking giant strides with champion cricketers coming out they had people to look up to at that stage and the better ones were coming out Absolutely. God, I remember that 96 World Cup final. I bet you were watching back in Sri Lanka. It must have been a huge moment for the nation. It was unbelievable. I remember the streets being f- uh, filled up with people in cars and parades just enjoying it and celebrating it, uh, which was wonderful. Everyone was behind that Sri Lankan team and uh, beating Australia. The look on Shane Warne's face, the look on Ian Healy's face where it sledged the players at that stage, Arjuna's and... Uh, uh, the Aravindas, the way they played was phenomenal. It's a, it's a time that a lot of Sri Lankans and I'm sure world fans wouldn't forget because cricket and the way cricket was played was taken to a different level. Absolutely. You mentioned Murali before. Now, in my research for this interview, I, I was wondering whether Murali and you have a, a close relationship because I believe you dropped a catch that would have given Murali his 10th wicket in an innings. He would have been the third player to do that. So has he forgiven you yet? Love-hate relationship. Even <laughs> from before that, uh, we're always at each other's um, throat. But if he needed a friend or I needed a friend, I know I could count on him. He's very loud and rude. and But uh, it, it's all in, in, in good spirits. Uh, he says that a catch was dropped, but I, I don't think so. Um, it <laughs> was check it, the tape. It was the last wicket. Uh, yeah, you should check the, uh, the tape. It was, um, I was at Selimidov. And um, it was a pad bat instance which flew way past me, which, um, I mean, if I was able to get uh, in the way of that and get, get it, it would have been great. But it's, I, I just feel it's a little harsh 
in saying that, uh, making it sound that it was a dolly that went down. But Murli's not had any issues with me. I mean, okay, when, we, when, we, when we when we get um, uh, get around, just have a chirp at each other for each and everything, and that does come up. But it's not been an issue really. <laughs> and are you both um, Tamil? We are. Um, my parents are from the north in Jaffna, whereas Murli's um, uh, f- family is in the hills in Kandy. So their ancestors go back to South India, whereas uh, mine are from the north of Sri Lanka. Yeah, I didn't realize how um, important that is to people's identity in Sri Lanka. That Tamil um, identity is it is it, is it important? Is it important to you? Well, in a, a certain instance, instance, yes. Uh, I'll have to say because the cultures are different and there is a certain things you believe in. But uh, all in all, in all in life, I just look at myself as a Sri Lankan, and that's what we are. All right, so I'm interested in your view of the Australian ball tampering incident because you've actually you know lived in Australia now and, and seen it happen. How, how did you? Th- how do you think Australia went dealing with what happened? Do you think there was an overreaction or a a statement had to be made to stamp it out? That was for sure. But um, leave that alone, which we I guess which needed to be done so that it's uh, it's not done again. But on the other hand. I don't believe it was the first time it happened. And I struggle to believe that no one else knew. Just for example, there was reverse swing on offer last season, but in, uh, Australia haven't just not found any reverse swing this season. Mm. So I'm just wondering why. And then as a team, yes, peop- the guys do make a mistake. Some are instigators. But uh, I just felt um, four of the three lads just been left out to dry like that. And as um, being cast out, made an outcast as as major villain. So I did feel for them because we all make mistakes, not only in cricket, in life. And a um, bit of support, bit of help, and a bit of camaraderie uh, would go a long way in helping each other out. Yeah, accept your mistake, take your punishment, and move on. But uh, just um, being cast out as villains, uh, I just feel uh, feel that's not all that right. So do you think maybe it was too long the year? Uh, I guess Australia needed to make a different statement in terms of sport, which you can understand, stamp out cheating, and you are come down harsh at some stage. And these are against your bigger players. Mm. Sometimes, or, or most often, what you do is you just catch the smaller fish, trying to make a little of it, doing something about it, and uh, you let the real uh, or the big fish off the hook. But here, Australia uh, wanted to give everyone a statement that um, uh, cheating is not on or... So they went for that. You can understand uh, that side of it as well. But um, just for everyone to say, oh, we didn't know about it and these guys are really bad and stuff like that, that just made me feel uh, for these guys. Yeah, and certainly understand how you feel. What about this summer then at post that? Do you think the Australian team has taken on a slightly different character in the wake of what's happened? For this season, Mm. it's very difficult to maintain exactly what, you were doing prior. You're looking for changes. Uh, it was not only the ball tampering, I guess, that um, led to such a punishment and how it was looked at. Even the culture, a lot, a lot were being said uh, about the way the Australians were going about their business. Uh, therefore, a change uh, was needed, and I guess that's uh, what we're seeing out there. Unfortunately, you came up against a very good Indian team, which just didn't allow you to breathe or to express yourself and find uh, that life which you would have liked to have done a lot earlier in the summer. Yeah, do you think Australia needs to like sledge and be aggressive to win? No, I don't agree. 
um yeah have a bit of banter those what we're hearing on the stump mic yeah that's great fun so you got to draw the line there i don't know anything further than that the mental disintegration just doesn't work a lot of sportsmen and sports bodies come out and give out these anti bullying statements etc but it's very difficult to teach that or say that to a kid they learn fast as a parent or a teacher you will you know that they react to more of what they see mm. so if you go out on the field and behave like that and take it to a different level that's what the kids see but then you come out and give a statement saying oh bullying is not on you shouldn't be harsh to your neighbor. i think that's a contradiction there absolutely so i think uh, sportsmen and sports bodies have much more of a responsibility in showing showing that rather than um, uh, just giving out statements after and make sure that you behave in such a manner that the younger generations uh, do pick up on that mm. and it's also just the practical thing that there's more cameras more microphones more coverage much more exposure so you, you might have been able to do something 25 years ago that you can't do now you just have to accept it Uh, what about the smartphones and everything so everything you're doing is being scrutinized and that comes with the territory so unfortunately yes but you have a responsibility i reckon and they get paid well for it now so there can be no uh, complaints all right let me turn my attention now to what's happening in sri lankan cricket the sri lanka's cricket administration was described as being corrupt from top to bod- bottom by the icc now i guess what's your view of what's going on there like as an outsider why has it got to this stage where uh, there's all these inquiries and problems and there's an amnesty uh, coming to an end where you know people could come forward with corruption what why is that happening lots of complaints have been floating around and this cloud has been around for a while and allegation after allegation and that's where it is at the moment uh, there's nothing or no one has really said this is what has happened so and so is at fault so i do wish that um, whoever concerned i think icc is also restricted to a certain extent in how far they can go with this i, I believe uh, the laws in the country also have to play a part in um, looking into these matters so i'm just hoping that we get answers very quickly so that would mean we can all rest uh, the um, those who are wrong be punished and the rest can move on and that's the only way you can move on positively as long as these clouds are hanging around uh that's where the trust falls away and trust is required and is very important um for a system for a team to be very competitive and to make its mark in international cricket uh, you have to be at your best and well oiled as i said before was there anything like that going on during your playing career Look we've always had issues administrators and uh, players at loggerheads blah blah nothing major now uh, i guess these uh, these uh, hurtful allegations have come up only of late but then again uh, the uh, we need we need answers to this is it true is it not what's on what's wrong who what when so uh, most of that again has come up because of um, technology and uh, uh what it's giving us and the extra scrutiny that's going around is it, is it just a case of you know that that people in sri lanka don't own as much money as in other parts of the world whether they're cricketers or or groundsmen or administrators and if if there's the temptation there for extra money that it's it's too great for them to ignore is that what's happening look when you look around the world yes sri lankans don't earn as much money but then you have had corruption issues all over the world 
even in the in first world countries uh, and uh, the richest of riches so i guess uh, temptation is always there for anyone and everyone all right so um before we end our little chat russell i just want to talk about some of the highlights from your career well let's start with the world cup final of 2007 sri lanka made the final played against australia in the west indies we're going into that game i mean australia went into it in red hot form but what was the sri lankan thinking going into the final obviously gilchrist made a huge hundred but what was going into it what did you think Oh, we knew exactly what we were doing. We had um, a, a core group of players, seven to eight of us who had played for quite a while. We knew each other inside out exactly uh, what to do, what not to do, when to do. And our younger players were probably Dil- Tilakaratna Dilshan and Lasit Malinga, Dil Harafanen, who were brilliant. So um, our, our core, core strength and our team was doing well. We had gone right, uh, well right throughout the tournament, lost only to Australia in the round game where we rested Murali and a few other players because we knew we had gotten through and uh, the rest was needed. We were very confident of that final. Uh, we we were pretty sure of exactly how we wanted to go about it and exactly when we wanted to attack Australia. But unfortunately, uh, Australia or Adam Gilchrist came up with a freakish performance, something you can't plan for, and that hit us too hard. Then again, even in the chase, we were pretty much in touch until the clouds came through. I thought the game should have been stopped earlier, but we played through the rain. And unfortunately, I I believe we were eight runs behind. And Jayasuriya, trying to close the gap, got got out. And from then on, we just couldn't catch up and we were too far behind. Ended the game, the last few overs were bowled in utter darkness. So we we were not too far behind. It was just not to be. I remember that. It It was frustrating viewing it the game started late and then del- was reduced to 38 overs so yeah, i think you know in hindsight you probably want a reserve day or something there was a reserve day we could have gone on to the other day but uh, as they didn't stop early uh, if you had stopped at that particular time um we would have had to come back the next day to bowl and over that was a bit of a misunderstanding and that's where the two captains said okay let's you just let's get through this uh Maila considered the fact that uh, ricky you've done enough to be ahead, let's just get through this and uh, go on. Yeah, the Australian players talk about it being pitch black. Out in the I, I played my last inning in, in pitch black, unfortunately. And uh, I'm Glenn McGrath's last international wicket as well, a full toss which he bowled at my ribs. Oh, I tried oh. to evade it and uh, Gilchrist managed to run, dive and pick it up. So it was... Uh, I mean, so not you a, not were out there right towards the end. You walked out then. It was uh, pretty dark and uh, didn't last too long, unfortunately. No, it didn't. So I guess, tell me, what was your best day of cricket? I mean, if you could say, you know, today it all worked well, what was it? Was it the 100 in England? What was it? Well, the 100 in England was good. That was, again, one of those instances when we were on our tours and our openers were failing. So I, as I told you, opening was in my blood. I was asked to open. Went out, did my thing, got that 100, but we were on the losing side. We... So it doesn't go down really well. There were other performances which were pretty special. Against Zimbabwe, they were very competitive in those days. Uh, we were 100 for 7. We got to 205 uh, with me getting 100 from there on. So I, I, I do cherish that. Uh, we were 4 for 20 against New Zealand and I managed to get a 91 and uh, take the team home. So those were special performances. But being a part of cricket is, is what makes it for me. Yeah, not many. I mean, not many get that opportunity. There are a lot of better players who haven't uh, had that opportunity or have been unfortunate. But I've been lucky, and I'm I'm happy to look at it like that. Being a part of cricket 
playing for Sri Lanka and being a part of world cricket which has given me a lifestyle is what's cherished and when you sort of look back now what are some of the opponents that you really stand out for you the best batsman you saw the best bowler you faced you know who who were they easy those are easy questions brian lara and wasim akram no okay. doubt about that both amazing was akram just a combination of speed and swing Oh, he got on to you very quickly. You couldn't say he was fast, but his action and what he would do with the ball was very, very difficult. Whereas there were other bowlers who were much, much quicker. But Wasim Akram was the real package. Okay, so, well, Russell, thanks so much for your time and coming on the podcast. Uh, you, you're about to finish up the, the test series with Fox Cricket. What do you plan for this year? Uh, not much. I know what I'm doing the next couple of months, and then we've got to wait and see what really does happen. Uh, Sri Lanka go to South Africa. They leave straight after, so I'll be joining them on the 11th of uh, February, and I'll be in there till the end of March. And then looking forward to a couple of months at home with the kids because I've been on the road quite a bit. So that's where we are at in life. Well, Russell, thank you so much for your time, and best of luck uh, this year. Cheers. Well, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much for downloading the show. And thanks to all the people that have gone on this week and left reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate it. It's great to see. All right. uh, I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. And I'll be back soon with another podcast. Thank you. 